Welcome to another episode of Getting Hot In Here. We recorded this episode a few weeks ago before we really knew how heavily affected the world would be by the coronavirus pandemic. We're all safe and well and we're doing what we can. We do know that this makes us very lucky and our thoughts are of course with the people who are on the front lines of this global crisis. We are going to keep recording and putting out episodes and we do hope that you keep tuning in. Stay safe out there and we hope you enjoy this podcast. And welcome to another episode of Getting Hot In Here, the podcast for curious people who want to do their bit to help the planet. So we've gathered around the microphones again today to talk about composting. (laughs) You may have noticed from um, our last couple of episodes that we've been doing a bit of a food related theme for a while. So we talked through the issue with food generally and then we had a great interview with the wonderful Annika Stott um, last episode talking about food waste and how problematic it is. So we thought we'd continue the conversation with a bit more detail about composting. So if you're feeling inspired to get a bit of a home compost going so you can reduce your food waste, this is the episode for you. Naturally, we have Andrew here. We could not get rid of him if we tried. Hello. And we also have Sam. Hello. And I'm Nikki. So welcome to this episode. It's all very exciting. You excited to talk about compost today, guys? I feel like a little bit of a compost noob. (laughs) I've been talking about compost in every other episode, so I'm just glad that we're doing a whole episode on it now. This is really just for you. There is one thing that you should know as like a compost noob though, Sam, is that like it's like a beard is compulsory. Oh, like if that. anyone's seen Gardening Australia and the beard that like Costa has, it, it kind of just comes with the territory. So I feel like <laughs> after this episode, both you and I will just end up with beards. It's inevitable. So <laughs> Maybe that's what I've been doing wrong. I've been really impressed yeah. by the beard that you've been growing since you've been in Scotland, Nick. So it's looking good. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. Thank you for appreciating it. There's something about the air here. I mean, like my hair's gone red and I'm growing a beard. It's great. <laughs> something in the whiskey (laughs) (laughs) the next thing will be that accent hey how's it going (laughs) i cannot do it oh no (laughs) so for people just tuning in um i've been i've just moved to scotland this is the first episode that we're recording um since i've done the big move across the pond so it's great to be here it is absolutely wonderful um loving it so far and also super excited that I get to keep yes. doing this podcast from over there. <laughs> so are we. Over here. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> In today's episode, we're going to talk through what exactly composting is, how you can get yourself set up with a composting system at home. We'll talk you through a bit of the science of it and then also talk you through how that relates to some of the troubleshooting, some issues that you may have with it, or basically just general tips to get the most out of your compost bin, getting the most out of what you put in, you could say. <laughs> This is basically just going to be an episode where Andrew gets really excited and I make terrible puns. So, sorry, Sam. Oh, no. (laughs) Sam cries. (laughs) So, before we get into all of that, though, we'll start off with our triple Cs, climate-related confessions, conundrums, and celebrations. Sam, do you want to take us away? Yes, I do, because I've got another confession, and I feel like this is a fourth in a row or something. Uh, I'm worried what this means. But anyway, I'm trying. I'm still here. Mm -hmm. So uh, probably a year ago now, one of the first steps in my climate journey was getting a Bokashi bin for my little apartment. Um, But I've noticed now slowly as the years gone by, I've gotten just a little bit shitter all the time. And Uh, now I think I'm fully out of love with my smelly Bokashi bin and trying to dig holes in our um, 
apartment complex backyard <laughs> in, in the in the dead of night or dropping it off to a friend. Um, and I think I need to look at other options. I love that you've been digging holes in like the dead of night. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Hopefully we'll talk through some options for you today. Perfect. Uh, if, if the Bakashi is no longer working for you. Andy, how about you? Confession, conundrum, celebration? Yeah, I have a celebration this week. Um, so at my workplace, uh, a few months ago, I set up a worm farm. So I work as Yay. an environmental educator and I need worms to take around to schools to show kids and demonstrate worm farms. So I thought, I'll oh, set one up at, at work. And it's really taken off. It's turned into a real healthy worm farm. And I put the caddy in the kitchen at work and people are really getting into it. It's filling up all the time. And there's even been some people come up to me at work and they want to talk about the worm farm and they want to get one at home. So it's starting to spread. That's so That's good. awesome. My acceleration this week is I have just moved over to Scotland and had been a little bit worried before I came over that I wouldn't be able to bring all of my systems with me, you know, because oddly enough, they don't let you bring a compost bin with you on the plane. So I had been... A little bit unsure as to what I was going to do when I got here, but turns out that Edinburgh, where I'm living, actually has a food waste collection system. So all of your food waste, all of your food scraps go into a bin at the end of the street and then it's taken and and then actually is converted into energy. I just thought that was really exciting because it means that I get to deal with all of my food waste and separate it out and keep it out of landfill and it actually goes to creating energy. Alrighty, shall we get into the nitty gritty? Shall we start breaking it down? So we start, you know, getting to the bottom of it? Oh, no. <laughs> it's begun. <laughs> it's begun. We quit. <laughs> That's it. That's been, this has been the tipping point. <laughs> Would you say that it's been the, the breaking point, Sam? No. Is this the point where you're about to have a breakdown? Or? <laughs> yeah. I'll make it stop. <laughs> all right. Tell us all about it. What is composting? So composting is just the breakdown of food waste. So this episode, we're going to be mainly talking about home composting, and it's a little bit different to the industrial composting. And that's what Nikki was talking about before, where the council or the city will collect your food scraps. We're going to focus in this episode on home composting. So it's basically just that breakdown of those food scraps or that organic material. And it goes into a compost bin and there's lots of microorganisms. There's thousands, millions of microorganisms in a compost bin. And those with the presence of oxygen and also some water help to break that organic material down. So it's decaying, it's a natural process, and it rots down and turns it into a compost product that you would then put into the soil in your garden uh, to rejuvenate and regenerate your soil. Some of the things that you can normally put into a compost bin are things like your kitchen scraps, your food waste, your garden waste, paper, cardboard, and they go in there and they break down into a rich, dense compost. Um, Sometimes we refer to that as black gold, uh, and it's full of nutrients, full of things like nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, uh, and these are really important for plant growth. So it's... Something that I've come across is that the idea that it's basically fast tracking nature by putting it into like a enclosed system. Is that kind of how it works? Like if you're fast tracking the natural process of decay? Yeah, exactly right. So things will naturally break down and decay in nature, Mm. but in a compost bin, you're uh, heightening the conditions so that everything will break down a lot faster. So you're making sure it's getting up to 
higher temperatures, you're making sure there's lots of oxygen in there and water and everything mm. will break down a lot faster. So why do we do it? Like what are the key benefits of composting? For me, composting is almost the answer to everything and particularly <laughs> in the... In the <laughs> of course. Not to sound too fanatical, but <laughs> what are we having for dinner tonight, Andrew? Compost. <laughs> Well, in, in a way you are. That compost has gone back to the ground. That's where your food's been grown. So in a way, especially in the context of the climate crisis, so many things come back mm. through this window of composting and it has so many good benefits across so many different places. So mm. it's a way that we can process our waste, so our food waste. It doesn't have to go off to landfill, which has benefits to greenhouse gas emissions. It's also then produces that compost product which is rejuvenating the soil as well so we can grow more food it's also an amazing way uh, that it brings people together uh, and i see this when i'm teaching kids or i'm teaching adults how to compost that it's something once you get over that initial barrier of that compost is yuck or gross people can really get into it and it's a lot of fun and it can really help to bring communities together that's so wholesome. It's so lovely. Yeah. I know it didn't yeah, and it's true and I love seeing all your passion for compost. But I think the why part was really important to me as well. I, I think I don't want I'm quite busy and I don't want to spend time on things that aren't gonna actually have an important impact. Um so when I first started composting a year ago, this was what I first researched. And like Andy was saying, it has um more than one benefit. So not only are you Composting your food means it means that it's not going to landfill where it won't have any oxygen uh, and it'll produce methane. And methane, as we were talking about in a couple of other episodes, is approximately 26 times more potent than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas in, to- in terms of global warming impact. But it That's also so means... It's, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. But it also means that that rubbish isn't, isn't sitting in landfill. It's uh, breaking down and going back into the system. And this was a stat that really... I don't know, it got me thinking. But 50% of household rubbish that is sent to landfill is food and garden waste. And 50% on itself is, is obviously an important amount. But when you think about how much waste people send, send to landfill every year, it blows my mind. So apparently the average Australian family produces enough rubbish to fill a three-bedroom house in a year. Gosh, yeah. Isn't that so ridiculous? So it's, it is. When you think that half of that could quite literally be going back into the soil and helping helping regrowth, also not having the negative effect of methane being produced, it's a massive. Exactly. It goes from like a, a, a double loss to a double yeah. win. The other important thing I just wanted to jump in and say, because like we're saying, when compost is able to break down in the presence of oxygen, which is called... Mm aerobic decomposition then it will not cause methane to be produced but yeah the there's different types of bacteria and um small organisms that could be living in your compost and like we're going to talk about there's lots of different ways to compost um and so there's also anaerobic composting um which requires different sets of organisms and conditions um than Mm. aerobic composting that we've been sort of generally talking about and it's Essentially, it's putrefaction, but it's like very an acidic environment, um, similar to like a stomach. Um, okay. And 
I think the term that's usually used is called a digester, which sort of makes sense mm. in terms of the stomach. But um, yeah, so that's an anaerobic process, which is also a composting option. So the aerobic process uses oxygen, anaerobic is without oxygen. And compost creates either carbon dioxide or methane, right? Like, can you talk us through why the aerobic digestion creates carbon dioxide and anaerobic creates methane? Well, you're going to need oxygen, so it's uh, carbon molecules with oxygen, but methane is is just carbon and hydrogen, um, CH4. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's like the chemical composition of it, yeah. Yeah, just thinking about like a big, like like a recipe when, when you're making mm. compost and so you've got to put in all the different parts and carbon dioxide is the lesser of two evils in, in that game. Mm, absolutely. And generally with composting systems – Home composting systems like a compost bin or a compost tumbler will be an aerobic system. So you're going to be yeah. adding oxygen in there and it will be producing a little bit of carbon dioxide, but not as much as uh, the alternative. And those anaerobic systems, the anaerobic digesters that Sam was talking about, are more of an industrial scale. Right. And they're actually putting all that food waste in there and they actually want to be generating methane. So rather than it being released into the atmosphere, they're capturing it. And normally then that methane is then burnt as a gas and you can generate energy from that. And so you'll be releasing carbon dioxide from the burning of it, but as we said before, that carbon dioxide is much less potent than the methane and you are yeah. generating green energy and at the same time you are generating a compost product from all of that organic material. Mm. So it really is, yeah, making something out of like what we would otherwise be considering a waste. Yeah, That actually sort of transitions well into the next um, bit that we we're going to talk about, about what the different types of composting systems are. So I mean, I think we're all kind of familiar with the compost bin like out the back or like having like a heap or a pile. But could you talk us through um, the sort of the main differences between like a compost heap or pile or a compost bin or like a compost tumbler? Like what are the different like benefits or the different features of each? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in quickly about the heap and pile. I think I usually think of just a standard compost bin with like the plastic sides that was probably sitting mm. out in your backyard. Um, mm. And it, it's quite a low cost option um, and it, you can fit quite a lot in there, especially compared to my little Bukashi bin in my apartment. <laughs> so it's quite a large volume um, and it since it's sort of, it's got all the sides but not a bottom uh, it can drain excess moisture and so there's lots of lots of benefits with this but also it um, it can be hard to get in there and turn the compost so like we're saying adding yep. air into the compost um, is really beneficial so I think that's probably one thing to consider if um, if you're looking at this option um, and it can also can attract some burrowing pests um, and and rodents but probably the most basic is that without the walls it's just a heap or a pile of compost mm. um mm. and it's um the most traditional and probably what you would see on farms or, or, or larger areas with more agricultural waste and it's just a heap and a pile of uh, compost so it's, but mm. some negatives again it'll attract pests probably the most out of all of the options uh, and it still requires that turning over the the compost to get all of the air in there okay so you've got like a compost heap or a compost pile and then those standard compost bins that Sam was talking about. And then some other options that you can get into 
particularly for people that live in urban areas that are living in towns or cities, a really good option can be a compost tumbler. And mm. there's a few different ones that you can get in the shops. Um, some are like a big barrel that you can spin around. Others are smaller. You can get ones with dual containers on there so you can have different processes going. And these tumblers are quite good because they're small and contained and they're normally raised off the ground. And the idea with those tumblers is that you can load them up with all of your organic material, so your food scraps and dried leaves and shredded newspaper, and then you put it all into one container and you can tumble that around and it's the tumbling that adds the air and the oxygen into it. So it's a really mm. good way that it can really heighten that process and make it a lot easier for people. One thing yeah. I found, I have a compost tumbler at home and I find it really hard to get the compost out of the tumbler when it's finished. Mm. Yeah. So that's just sort of one thing to consider, but it does make it so easy in the, the whole process. Yeah, I definitely noticed that with my compost tumbler having, like I couldn't, I never knew when to take it out of the bin. So if you have like a, a heap or a pile, you can sort of, take out from the underneath with a tumbler you don't have that same <laughs> like because everything is all mixed in together it does make it happen more quickly but it also means that there's not necessarily a point where it's ready if you are adding to it all the time totally so i like to think of those compost tumblers as a bit like baking a cake so yeah. when you are baking you put all of your ingredients in together you put in the eggs and the flour and the sugar and you mix that all together and then it goes into the oven and you bake the cake. Similar in a compost tumbler, you should be adding all of those ingredients, the food scraps and the dried leaves and the newspaper, and then you let it set and you let that compost cook and it literally does cook. It's got to get up to temperature and then after a few weeks or a couple of months, then the compost will be ready and you can take it out. If you continue adding things along that time, um, that's when you start running into trouble and not all of it has broken down properly. So yeah. when you're baking a cake, you're not opening the door and throwing a handful of flour in, shutting it again for a week and then opening up again and throwing in an egg. Uh, it's We it's cook a very differently. We have a very different uh, <laughs> <laughs> approach to the kitchen, Andrew. <laughs> and Andrew's cooking with compost, so I'm particularly worried. <laughs> I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> Yeah. Nikki's throwing flour everywhere. Andrew's <laughs> trying to serve up compost. <laughs> it's a great time. So, do you want to talk us through, um, like Sam, you've mentioned Bakashi bins um, mm. and having, how you've had one before. And Andy, you've talked about worm farms. Do you want to just talk through the main key features of those? Yeah, definitely. So, a worm farm is very similar to a compost bin in that it's something that you'll be adding your food scraps to. Yeah. Uh, but it's something where you've got a specific set of worms in there. They're different to your normal earthworms. Uh, there's a few different types. The main type of worms for a worm farm are called red wrigglers. Uh, and so they will live in your worm farm and you add food scraps on top and the worms will come up and they will eat all of those food scraps and then goes through their digestive system and will come out the other end and it turns it into a compost-like product. Um, and the worms do wheeze as well. Um, and so that worm wee will drain through the bottom and can be collected and that is an incredible fertiliser. And bakashi bins are a bit different to that because like we were talking about before, it's an anaerobic process. So there's no oxygen involved. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I seal mine up quite tightly at the end of it and let it do its thing. And it ferments. Um, so it's sort of like 
I'm pickling my food scraps. Yeah, so in the fermenting process, it does have uh, quite a distinct smell. But I find it doesn't smell at all while I'm putting the food in there or um, while it's sitting on my balcony or for a while I had it in my kitchen even. Uh, And I couldn't smell it. It's just when I'm emptying it. So the way the process is I put in even uh, meat and dairy products, all of my food scraps, leave it for a couple of um, weeks to a month and then I can just bury it in my garden or give it to a friend um, to compost in their compost bin. But also along the way, so as it's um, fermenting, there's a little tap down the bottom and I just tap off all of the, um, it's like a strong tea or like pre-compost and I dilute that down completely and I give it to my houseplants. Is there a spray that you spray into the Bakashi bin? Yes, good point. There's a couple of options in terms of um, a spray or even – sort of like a sawdusty powder that you can put in which creates the right microbiome to be able to ferment um, the scraps altogether. So I've started using this spray and I actually bought it as an online kit and it came with enough spray and um, sort of the sawdust mix um, to last quite a while and I haven't even made a dent in it in a year. Um, so, yeah, I just spray it on after every time I put in my scraps and then at the end when it's sort of full, I spray a lot on top and then let it do its thing. So in terms of like how these different systems do their thing, as it were, <laughs> like what do – I noticed from someone's notes from today that they've just written down Adam. So can yes. someone explain Adam to me? Like how <laughs> – <why>, what <laughs> is the Adam idea in terms of compost? <laughs> Andrew actually taught me this one, so I'm going to just jump in before he does. (laughs) Steal his notes about Adam. Um, No, but I've learned about how I need to keep my compost alive. Um, And I'm considering a a tumble compost. So so the key principles um, for the acronym ADAM. So A is for aliveness, and then we've got diversity, and then aeration, and then moisture. So aliveness, sort of thinking about your compost as a living creature and keeping it full of worms and healthy microbes and all of that good stuff. And so the next part is D for diversity. So it needs to have all different ingredients in there and um, carbon and nitrogen and all of like we were talking about, those um, sort of ingredients. So food scraps, which are the greens and dried leaves and and all different things. Um, And when someone was explaining this to me, um, they were explaining it like a lasagna. I feel like we keep bringing this back to cooking and I'm actually really disturbed by this parallel. But anyway, <laughs> like a lasagna, like lots of different layers. So, like you, so if you're putting it all together, like you want to make sure that you've got like different like amounts of both. So Yeah, yeah, like all in there. So that lasagna analogy is referring to a compost bin or a compost pile. And so when you're building the pile, you've got to layer it like a lasagna. So you're layering it with, on the bottom, you'd probably have a layer of browns, so things like hay or dried leaves. Uh, And then on top of that, you would then add a layer of food scraps. You would put another layer of browns, of more hay, more food scraps on top, and then as high as your compost bin will go. And that layering is what helps keep the air and the moisture flowing through it um, so that it will go through that proper composting process. Yeah. Oh, so wait, is that different to the cake analogy? Yeah. How? So like cake is, so the cake analogy for like a tumbler system, you mix it all up and all together. But if you've got like a stationary or like a, you know, a system that you can't tumble, 
you you layer it like a lasagna. Hmm. This is interesting. There's a lot of cooking related analogies here. This is yeah, great. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we should start a cooking podcast, guys. <laughs> we really should be <laughs> cooking with compost. <laughs> okay, so that's um, A and D. <laughs> Moving right along. The next A is for aeration. So, like we were saying, it needs oxygen um, to be able to break down into CO2, and that's what we want. Mm. Uh, and lastly, we want moisture. So, it needs to be kept moist at all times, like a like a damp sponge sort of a moisture content. Um, and mm. that's to keep all of those good and healthy living creatures alive in there. Um, it can't dry out completely. Excellent. So we've talked a little bit through the Adam principles. Give me some other like key principles. Give me some science. Give me some like, talk to me about ratios. I want numbers, guys. What else can you tell me? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Scotland has challenged me. <laughs> So composting can be a really scientific process and I think there's two ways of doing it. I, when I'm physically doing my compost, am not very scientific about it. I more do it by feel and by look and by smell. I'll sort of add things. If it's looking a little bit wet or dry, I'll add different things to it. But it really is a scientific process. So if someone was to do it in a more scientific way, how would they do it? Yeah, so there's... The carbon to nitrogen ratio that you have to be conscious of when composting or the CN ratio. And so these are the different materials that you're putting into your compost bin. And so the carbon nitrogen ratio or CN ratio should roughly be about 20 to 1. Things that are full of carbon, and you can also think of these as brown things, are things like dried leaves or shredded newspaper, straw or sawdust. Uh, and so these are all high in carbon and are often brown. Not always, but are often brown. Mm. And then you've got things that are full of nitrogen. And this is more of your food waste and your veggie scraps and your coffee grounds. I know coffee grounds are normally brown, but you think of these nitrogenous things as green. So food waste, okay. veggie scraps, you can think of greens. So carbon, brown, nitrogen, green. And then so when you're adding these into your compost bin – um, that's sort of, that's the scientific way of thinking about it. A rough guide, I like to think of it as one bucket of food scraps. If you had one bucket of food scraps that you're putting in your compost bin, you would add about 10 buckets of dried leaves to go with it. Would that not be 20 buckets of dried leaves? Good question. So the carbon-nitrogen ratio is more about the amount of elements that are in there. Like food scraps have, there's a higher carbon content in leaves and there is nitrogen content in food scraps. Yeah, exactly right. So people will commonly be adding too many food scraps to their compost bin. And when you do that, it turns into a really wet, gluggy pile. Uh, so mm. you need to make sure that you're adding enough carbon, enough of those browns to keep your pile going. Along with that is the temperature of the compost bin. So when you have those ratios right, a compost bin will actually heat up considerably. Uh, and those temperatures can get up to about 50 degrees, sometimes even up to 80 degrees in a compost bin. And so you should be able to feel some heat coming off there. And the reason for this is that there is a huge amount of bacteria in a compost bin. And some of those are a bacteria called thermophiles. And when they are eating or breaking down the material, they are releasing heat in that process. And so when you put your hand into your compost bin, you should probably at different times actually feel the heat coming off it. Cool. 
And so continuing with the science of a compost bin, the compost is then really beneficial to the soil. Uh, and there are a few main things with that. So one of the best things about the compost going into the soil is the addition of all of that nutrient content. So all of those nutrients that were in the food scraps uh, and those macronutrients like nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And so gardeners would be familiar with the NPK levels. And there's also micronutrients in there like manganese, copper, iron, and zinc. And so these all become bioavailable in the soil. Compost is also incredible for soil structure. Uh, and soil science is incredibly complex, but if you do want to continue that conversation, send me a message on the Getting Hot in Your Instagram and I would love to talk soil science with you all day long. <laughs> so soil is really structured and when you add compost to it, it's improving the structure of that soil so that things like water and nutrients and plant roots can move around in that soil. Compost also adds to the water holding capacity of the soil. So when it rains or when you water your garden, the soil is more likely to hold on to that water. So you actually have to water the garden less. So is that sort of, that would be really helpful in like um, areas stricken by drought. Exactly right. And it really helps with flooding as well because that mm. soil can hold more water. There's less water running off the top, which can really cause a lot of uh, flash flooding to happen. So if the soil is yeah, holding of more of the water, it's not then running off into streams and rivers where it's causing all that flash flooding. And the last point is for disease in the soil. So because of all those healthy microbes in the compost, when that goes into the soil, it will help to mitigate some of the other diseases that might cause damage to plants in the soil. Cool. There's so much in it that's and there's so much that goes into compost and there's so much that we can all get out of it. So awesome. Thank you for breaking that down. That's like the third time that I've used that pun. I need to use something else. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for taking us through all of that science. So I wanted to talk like some of the issues that we might get with, with compost. Cause I know a lot of the time, like people are a bit deterred by the idea because they, they think that it's going to attract a lot of vermin or they think that it's really icky and gross. Do you guys have any like tips or any like things that we like that should be, we should be doing to make sure that we are getting the most out of our compost or sort of like avoiding some of these issues? Yeah, totally. And I love thinking back to when my housemate Liam first had a look at the compost bin that we had at home and yeah. I will never forget his face when he looked in there he looked so horrified and he said to me <laughs> oh my god it looks like death <laughs> which I love because a compost bin is totally the opposite it's a bin full of life but people do often find that like composting can be a little bit gross um, and that's often because it's not being done correctly um, mm. So sometimes, we spoke a bit before, sometimes there are animals or vermin that's attracted to the compost yeah. bin. And that's normally because the food scraps aren't breaking down properly in the compost bin. Uh, and so that might be it's not getting up to the right temperature or maybe it's not being rotated or turned enough so there's not enough oxygen getting in there. Uh, so it's always important to make sure that you've got the right ratio of browns and greens in your compost bin and that you're rotating it enough as well okay cool if it's getting really smelly um that will normally be because there are too many food scraps in there and it's turning into a wet gluggy pile 
Uh, so you'll need to aerate it and put in some more browns, so some shredded newspaper or some dried leaves, and that should soak up some of that gloopiness and hopefully will stop smelling as bad. I actually found that with mine that that really helped with um, like both the smell and sort of pests and stuff that I had noticed around my tumble compost. I found that I just started putting in shredded cardboard mm. and it did. It like it definitely increased the um, – like the, the quality of the compost material. And also I, I noticed a lot less, um, like less issues with vermin. Yeah, totally. That's great. Just on that, can I ask, can you over aerate it? Like a troubleshooting question before I dive into the world of tumblers. Like, can I turn it too much? Does it, does it not heat up then though? Like, is that actually a. <laughs> Sam's planning on spending like, you know, hours every day just out there just i'm just gonna <laughs> just, just I'm gonna work out in the morning actually <laughs> <laughs> who needs a gym membership i mean within reason you're probably not going to aerate it too much um mm. so you do a certain amount you do want to let it sit so that it can get up to temperature but uh giving it a tumble whenever you get a chance or turning it with a pitchfork or one of those spiral compost aerators um, yeah. really helps to get the oxygen in there and it's the oxygen and the material in there that's allowing the bacteria to get it up to temperature. Yeah. Let's be real. I'm definitely lazy and we'll have the opposite problem, but I was just curious about the heat thing. <laughs> just in case, yeah. <laughs> and so flies are another common problem that you might get with a compost bin and flies aren't actually the worst thing to have in your bin so the fly larvae will actually help in the deco decomposition process so if you can handle the flies then it's probably fine to keep in your bin um, but otherwise it's again probably because there's not enough browns in there they're being attracted to the decomposing food so make sure you're tumbling it or turning it and that there's enough browns in there and if you keep running into trouble there are always things that you can add to your bin so you can add things like lime and that's the mineral lime, not the fruit. So you can add lime in there and that will help with some of the smells that come out. Okay, so speaking of lime, the fruit, can I put that in my compost bin? What sort of stuff can I put in? What should I not be putting in? Is it different for different systems? Talk us through it. Yeah, it does get a little bit confusing sometimes. And the difference comes in between the difference between a compost bin and a worm farm. So you can put almost anything into a compost bin. You can put citrus, you can put onion, you can put garlic, you can put chili. I even put little bits of meat scraps if I do have them at home. Um, with meat, I like to make sure that I chop it up really fine and mix it all through. And that goes for everything that you're putting in a compost bin. Everything should be chopped up a little bit. Um, it's in a worm farm that you start running into some trouble. So the worms will not like the acidity in the citrus and the onions. Yeah. Uh, and things like chili and cheese and dairy as well shouldn't go into a worm farm specifically. But compost bins can handle most of those things. Cool. Okay. So let's talk through a couple of other top tips. For me, when I, I found that when I first started composting, it took me a while to get into things. And I think the biggest tip or the biggest takeaway that I learned and that I'm really glad that we've talked about here is getting the composition right. So getting enough um, brown leafy matter in there, getting cardboard, getting paper, all of that stuff in there because that sort of solved a lot of the issues that I was having, having when I first started. But did you guys have any like particular tips that stood out that you that made like your composting experience just – 100% better or anything that you did that you wished you were doing from the get-go? Something that was uh, very important for my composting journey, getting your roommate 
your boyfriend on side in the composting <laughs> journey themselves. Um, <laughs> so for me, like the biggest tip I could give someone is to find a non-offensive way to start into composting. Um, so for I you were going to say, a, find a non-offensive boyfriend. Just like, good find tip another for boyfriend. Life, generally, <laughs> another boyfriend. If your boyfriend's not okay with compost, chuck him out. Get a life one. lesson right there. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> not too wrong, Sean. You're safe for now. <laughs> just anyway, back to compost. Um, we found that having like a little compost caddy in our kitchen because we, we're living in an apartment. Um, and then I started by giving it to my friends that I knew that I, that were composting. So first of all, I had like a little container that we put under the sink and it started to get a little smelly because I was only dropping it off to my friend every couple of days or at the end of the week. So what I used to do was just to keep um, keep it in my freezer uh, and that meant that yeah. it didn't break down and it didn't have any yucky smells. And then at the end of the week, I could give it to a friend or then when we got our little bakashi bin and put it on the balcony, I, I could take it from there and, and do that every couple of days. And it was very non-offensive and um, Sean will be able to vouch that it didn't actually smell too bad. <laughs> Past tense, it's 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 having a bit of a moment. But um, yeah, so I think just finding easy sort of low barrier to entry steps into getting into composting um, if, if you're on the fence. Yeah, totally. How about you, Andy? Just get started. Um, yeah. It would be my number one tip for anyone that wants to get on a climate journey um, to really take action because there is such a big impact that an individual can have if they start composting their food scraps. Uh, and it's something that you learn on the go. So you can't yeah. really go wrong or more, you probably will go wrong and everyone does. And it's just a constant process of refining and to keep trying. So just get started. Um, yeah. And I would point people towards their local council. Lots of councils run um, some composting and worm farming workshops and they're a really good place to go and you can see all this stuff that we've been talking about. For Brisbane, there's a, a council workshop where you also get a subsidy on if you buy a compost bin or a worm farm. So it's like extra incentive to go to one of those. Um, and I also want to reinforce what you just said about how empowering it is taking that that even as one of your first steps on your climate journey, if anyone listening today sort of doesn't feel like they are making actionable steps. So for me, when I started composting, I realized that so much of what the, the waste I was putting in my bin and getting sent to landfill was either um, just organic food scraps or things that I could be composting or um, soft plastic. So I started making those two changes at the same time. And I think we reduced the times that we took the bin out by at least five times, like five yeah. times less taking it out. So, yeah, it's every couple of weeks now because we really have very few things that can't go into one of those two bins. It's really empowering. That's awesome. Yeah, totally. And it is, and it's. A, I think it's also a really good sort of starter point for anyone, yeah, starting a sustainability journey because you can very easily see the difference. Definitely. For if you're trying to, like, reduce your travel footprint or whatever, like, you can know that you're doing a good thing but you can't necessarily see the outcome of it. With this, it is so clear. Like, you can look at it and see the difference in the waste that you're putting out and you can be very aware of how much less 
is going into your rubbish bin every day. And something too that I'll, I think we've plugged in previous episodes is the share waste app. Because I think it's a really good idea as well, because that helps you. Like, if you're not in a position to have your own um, compost bin or tumbler or worm farm, it is actually a way for you to basically, it's like Tinder for compost. (laughs) 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 So you could basically see who is like in your area who has a composting system and who's like happy to accept your scraps. This whole episode is just like Andrew's new Tinder profile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and then the photo immediately is- deletes Tinder and just gets shared instead. <laughs> and the photo is you just holding your underwear above the, the compost bin with like a little cheeky wink or something. Uh, did I tell you that all my friends know you as the, the guy that composts his undies from that episode? <laughs> I love that so much. It makes yeah. me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so glad that you shared with us. <laughs> Thank you. This is a safe space and we'd never hold it against you. So there you have it, folks. You can <laughs> check out your local council workshop, get yourself a bin from a hardware store if you're wanting to like start composting yourself. Check out Bakashi if you're wanting to, yes. like, if you think that that's something that could work for you. And shout out, I got mine online at, I think it was, it's Biome or is it Biome? The, the place that we can't pronounce, um, I got yeah. it there and it was delivered and I think it was about $79. So one of the more expensive options, but uh, it came with all of the equipment and the kit to, to keep it going for a very long time. Or look out for people who can help you on your journey. So download Shareways, connect with like community Facebook pages because they'll local community gardens might be looking for organic waste to turn into compost. Or also, if you're looking for just a, a new compost bin or a tumbler, look at Facebook Marketplace or Gumtree because yeah, I know totally. there were some really cheap options there if um, you're looking for mm. a more, affor- more affordable option than Bunnings. And also secondhand. Exactly. Reduce, reuse, recycle, kids. <laughs> and if you're wanting to learn more about compost, if you're looking for some recommendations for reading, listening, watching, Andrew, what have you got for us? Yeah, so there's a really good book called The Rodale Book of Composting which is a really good place to start if you do want to learn a little bit more about it. Uh, So it's got some really good information there for beginner composters. um, And then if you keep reading, it'll go right into it. Uh, And if you're really into the soil science as well, there's another (laughs) book called Teeming with Microbes that is my favorite book on soil science and composting. You can also check out YouTube as well. There's heaps of YouTube videos about composting, Gardening Australia do some amazing things. Do you have a secret YouTube channel? Because I would totally watch that. Yes, stay tuned for my YouTube channel. Yeah. (laughs) Before we go, I wanted to like give you one weird fact about composting that I found. Since you guys have gone through and given us so much useful information, I thought I'd like, you know, bring in one weird fact. (laughs) And that is that brush turkeys use compost to incubate their eggs. (laughs) Isn't it so cute? Uh, So, you know how you were saying before that, like, the heat from compost piles, um, like, can get up to really high temperatures. Like, the brush turkey uses those. So, they basically, like, pull together piles of all these decomposing vegetation and the heat from the pile, like, they use that to incubate the eggs so they don't have to sit on them. (laughs) So, it means that they don't have to, like, hang about waiting for, you know, waiting for the eggs to get ready, essentially. They can go about their day-to-day knowing that the eggs are just in the uh, incubating yeah. back in the compost pile. Yeah. So resourceful. Compost really is all around us, Andrew. You are right. Oh, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> compost is all around. <laughs> and the largest – I have to give you this stat too because it, like, blew my mind. The largest, like, brush turkey 
nest was um, it's on Kangaroo Island in South Australia, and the average mound uh, measures about 12.7 cubic metres and weighs about 6,800 kilos. What? Just think of wow. all that compost, Andy, all of that compost. Oh, my God. Do you reckon it could cook <laughs> the eggs? Like, could it get hot enough to accidentally cook the eggs? I mean, like, I'd hope not. There are examples of people that use their compost bins to heat up their water. So, they will run pipes what? underneath their so compost next bin. level. And then that will be then fed into their hot water system. So, it's heating up That's the unreal. water as it goes through. I think I've just, like, seen a glimpse of your future, Andy. Yeah. Just like <laughs> you living in the bush somewhere, like, using your compost to heat your water. Surrounded by bush turkeys. Your beard is now down to your knees. Like. <laughs> you have just. no more underwear left to compost. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting naked with your keep up. <laughs> Are we enabling this behaviour though? I think we are. Uh, possibly. I, f- I feel like I'm actively encouraging yeah, I'm not against point. it, really. <laughs> I feel like we need to wrap this up. <laughs> I feel like we need to wrap this up too. <laughs> so as always, you can continue the conversation by joining us on our Instagram, which is at Getting Hot In Here Podcast. Or you can pop onto our website, which is www.gettinghotinhere.com. Thanks so much and we'll catch you next time. See you in a fortnight. Get a combo spin. Woo! <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.